Okay, it's me again. Good morning, good morning. Looking forward to the message today and uh, being able to share with you. It's great to have the, the Spanish men here, Spanish-speaking men. And, and I have to say, I did notice a few Spanish-speaking women. So it's okay for them to be here. Is that right, Jose? If they weren't able to go to the retreat or if they got home early, whatever, you know, they made it out to church today. So that's good. Good to have you. So I want to let you know if you're uh, in the, maybe the, the Spanish-speaking ministry or visiting with us today, you haven't been here before, we are recently started a new series on the basic truths of the Christian faith. And so we've done several lessons. There's seven in all that we're going to do. Uh, we started a lesson that we're going to do part two this week. But I think it's good, especially if you are new here, to understand what we believe. And uh, if you know, I think that's important to understand. And and so you'll uh, know more about us as a church. I will say that the things that we've talked about, not every church believes these things. And in fact, the message that we're going to give today is a, is a message that I am quite sure not every church that professes the Christian faith believes or practices. So we'll talk about that as we go along here. So I think a good way to introduce this is to ask you a question that may be, uh, may be painful. Have you ever wanted a relationship with someone more than they wanted a relationship with you? Yes, a groan, a general universal groan, right, goes to the audience because we've all had that experience. And so we feel blessed when we have find a great relationship, and it could be a a friendship, or it could be a romantic relationship, but what you haven't, what I bet even the, the, that our teens are maybe a little younger have already figured out, it doesn't always work out exactly the way you want it to, and uh, we actually figured this out pretty young, right? I mean, I remember when I was, I must have been second or third grade, uh, passing notes to some of the girls in my class, and I like you, do you like me? Now, perhaps it would have been more effective if I would have just talked to them. But, you know, I was shy, and so uh, anyway, that's, that worked. Nowadays, of course, nobody would write a note. They would send a text. I like you. Do you like me? So that was the beginning of what I found to be a, uh, a painful experience. Along the way, in high school and college, at different times, there were girls that uh, I was really excited about, and they were not as excited about me. Now, I did find, a, I did have a few girlfriends along the way, but I was still shy. So uh, anyway, that was a hit or miss thing. And then I went down to the University of Florida, and I was in uh, graduate school down there, and that's where I became a Christian uh, a few years ago, and I met Mary Kay, and it was right after like two months after I became a Christian, I decided to commit my life to Jesus, and some of you know this story, and so Mary Kay came to church on a Sunday, and I'd never seen her before, and I thought, I need to go meet that woman, and so I did, and this most amazing thing happened, you know, because I, I think I was interpreting through the eyes of now I become a Christian, so everything's different, and so in my heart, one conversation I had with her, and it was her first time to church, I believe. I said to myself, and I told a few of my closest friends, that is the girl I'm going to marry. 
I mean, I really felt like God had spoken to me. I mean, not in an audible voice. It wasn't that weird. But I felt like, you know, now I've, I've, I've got the Holy Spirit in me. And so the Holy Spirit says, this is the one for you. And so it seemed clear enough to me. Uh, unfortunately, it, evidently, the Holy Spirit did not speak to Mary Kay. At least he did not speak to her until much later. It was about a year, a year that before she heard the voice of God. Now, I like to interpret that as her own hardness of heart. But whatever that may be, I can tell you that that first year, I mean, I was loving. It was the best of times and the worst of times. I mean, I, I was loving, you know, my new life in Christ and the friends that I had in the church and all that. But then there was this pain because I, this woman that I was destined to marry did not seem to understand that. And so fortunately, uh, as you might know, it all worked out. But it is, uh, it is painful, and I think it would just, and, and we've had this experience in, in love, we've had this experience in friendships, right? I mean, it's just as painful when you really maybe want to be friends with somebody and you feel like there's an opportunity there and you reach out and after a while you realize, you know, I'm the only one that's calling, I'm the only one that's trying to get together, I'm the only one that seems, I don't, they don't seem nearly as excited about this as I, and then, you know what it is? It's, it's painful, and here's the lesson I think we all know, whether we've ever said it out loud or not. Relationships only work when both people are similarly committed to that relationship, right? And so that would lead us into uh, our lesson for today. The lesson title, and this is going to help us, what we just talked about, was uh, last week, this week, following Jesus. This is following Jesus part two. So we introduced it last week. And I want to go back to the scripture that we did a lot. The whole lesson was on Matthew 22 and the story here. But I just want to remind you and build on this foundation as we finish up the lesson today. In Matthew 22, verse 37, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's Matthew 22, verse 36. And 37, verse 38, this is the first and greatest commandment. See, what God is wanting, what the Lord of all wants, is he wants us to want this relationship as much as he wants this relationship. You see where we're going here? He's proven his love for us. Before we were even born, he created this universe in its glory, in its beauty, in its majesty, and with everything that we need for life. And he is responsible for us even having a life. And he breathed life into our souls. And he launched us on this path. And he showed us love in so many ways. And, of course, he sent Jesus to show us more of who he is and how much he loves us. And he gave us his word. That was one of the lessons that we did earlier in this basic series of truths about the Christian faith is the Bible is God's message for us. And it is a great gift of God. It is a gift of his love to show us how to live and how to please him and how to have a relationship with him. And so that's why 
it's the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, and soul. We talked about it last week. To be a Christian means you give your all to Jesus. It's all or nothing. But God is just saying, hey, I just want you to love me the same way that I love you. The good news is we don't need to be perfect. We can't be perfect. But we do need to love. And that's why this is the first and greatest commandment. It's the only way any relationship really works. Following Jesus means being a Christian is giving all for Jesus. In a sense, I see God. And I want you to see if you can pick. Don't look at me. Think about God. But I see God standing before you, standing before the doors of your heart, and saying, do you want this relationship as much as I do? Do you love me as much as I love you? Now let's go over to Mark chapter 10, because that's going to be our text today. We're going to read a story that I believe beautifully illustrates the truth that we're speaking of here today. It's a wonderful picture drawn from an actual event that happened during the ministry of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. In my New International Version, it says, the little headline says, the rich young man. Sometimes in other versions of the Bible, or maybe we refer to this as the rich young ruler. This story is so important that it was actually recorded by Matthew, Mark, and Luke, three different accounts of basically the same event that happened. And I think that was really a testimony to what important, how important it was. And so let's just read the story and see what we learn. It says in verse 17, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Maybe you know this story. Maybe you know it well. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing it. It is quite a remarkable story. And even if you're hearing it for the, for the umpteenth time, I want you to try to read it and imagine it as if it was the first time you read it. Because it is so, so powerful. This man, this rich man, it turns out, doesn't say it in this text, that he was 
not just wealthy, he was young. And he was also a ruler. What did it mean by that? In the Jewish faith, even as a young man, he had an official position in the Jewish synagogue, the local Jewish synagogue, and so he was sort of a chosen officer because he was such a good representation, at least for the other Jews, of that faith and how you should live and what kind of person he should be, that he was not just rich, but he was young and he was a ruler, so to speak, a leader in the faith. It says that he ran up to Jesus. He ran up to him. I mean, I'm trying to imagine uh, this happening, you know, that Jesus is out and this, this guy comes full sprint. He doesn't walk. He runs up to him and falls on his knees. How many of you ever had that happen to you? Uh, only your dog will do that for you, okay? And that's the great thing about dogs, isn't it? They will come running, and they will fall on their knees for you. But you know what? Human beings don't do that for other human beings. And I've never had it happen to me, and, I, and frankly, I'm glad about that. And if it did happen, it would be tremendously embarrassing. But that's who he seemed to recognize who Jesus was. So he's an outstanding guy who seems to have a great heart. And along with that, he asked Jesus the question that we should all want to ask Jesus, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so anyway, so much about this guy that's so awesome. So then Jesus' response is interesting. And I feel like I have spent several weeks here studying this. I feel like, even though I've read it a lot, I've preached on it a lot, actually, through the years, I feel like I learned some things or saw some things in this story that I had never seen before. And hopefully you can find the same thing today. Jesus' first response is, is interesting. He says, why do you call me good? He says, let me just tell you something. No one, no one is really good except God alone. And then he throws out a few commands. Now these are just some of the, maybe they're the more obvious, but these are from the Old Testament. And he says, you know, here's the commands. You know what they are. I mean, you've been you know, uh, in this Jewish faith a long time, and you're an upstanding example of, of the Jewish faith, and don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, honor your father and the mother. And I think what I see Jesus saying to this man, I mean, I think the way Jesus started this conversation, it didn't go the way he thought it was. I see him saying, you realize, of course, that you are not good enough on your own. And you're never going to be saved on the basis of your own goodness. Only God is good. And he's, I see Jesus say, let me just throw out a few commands. And surely you have enough self-awareness to understand that you will not be saved because you have lived such a life that you have earned or deserved to be saved. Right? How do I know that? Because everything that Jesus ever taught and anything that you will ever read that's written by any of the, the, the missionaries and the Christian writers in the New Testament, no one is good, no not one. We are all sinners. We are all broken. None of us are going to make it to heaven on our own righteousness. And I think Jesus was anticipating that this guy would have enough self-awareness to go, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I am broken. You know, I've done a few things right, but... 
still, I mean, I got, I got serious issues. But then here's a surprising answer, right? What does the guy say? I think later he wished he hadn't said that. You ever said something and then later on go, you know, I really wish I hadn't said that. He says, oh, Jesus, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Now let me tell you, Jesus knew that wasn't true. And you also know that wasn't true. Okay, do not murder. Okay, most of us are probably okay there. Do not commit adultery. We just knocked out a few more of us, right? Then he gets on, I mean, it sort of gets, what's next? Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't cheat. How you doing? Honor your father and your mother. Now all the teens just fell out right there. All of you. I don't even know you, but I know I know teenagers. You know why? I'm going to relate to you. I, I first of all, I was a teenager once. Once. I was a teenager at one time. Quit picking on me. See, this is this is an example of what we're talking about here. You know the Bible says, Naomi, you're supposed to rise in the presence of the aged. Anyway. Love Naomi. I'm just having fun there. But who who would ever claim, even with just these, that they've done it all? And I mean, and this guy actually says that. And you know, the thing is, it's it's so much like us, isn't it? Can we be honest with each other for a moment? It's so much like us. We desperately want to pretend and to act like we are good enough. And we try to paint this picture, and, you know, we want other people to respect us and admire us, and so we try to act like we're good enough. The most, if you share your faith much, the most common answer, if you ask people, do you think you're saved, and why do you think you're saved? You know the most common answer you're going to get, right? Because I'm a good person. Sure I am, <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Thank you. This is like the new Amen Corner right over here. I like this. But it's so much like us. We want people, we want people to like us. We want people to think a lot about us. And we don't want to say, I am broken. I am sin sick. I am just consumed with sin. And even if it's not showing in my heart, it, I mean, on the outside, it's in my heart. And I desperately need salvation. And if you are honest with yourself, you already know it. God is perfect in love. He is perfect in character. And there is no way that any of us should imagine that we could stand before God on our own merits. So this guy says, oh yeah, Jesus, I'm good. I've kept all this since I was a boy. And then Jesus, this is where the story really, to me, the heart of the story and what I want to make sure we understand as we continue on. Don't just skip to the answer that Jesus gave him. That's powerful and we're going to talk about that. But look at the first sentence of verse 21. 
This is the key to really understanding the whole thing. Jesus looked at him and loved him. The people who were there that day, and Mark was probably not a witness, and so he got the eyewitness reports, and it may have come from Matthew, and Luke also wrote about it, but he wasn't probably there either. But there were a lot of people there. There were disciples, followers of Jesus who were there, and they told this story, and they never forgot this story, right? The day that Jesus told a rich man to sell everything, right, and give it to the poor. Yeah, I mean, you know, nobody's going to forget that story, right? But they said, you know, before I tell you what he said, this was what was so obvious to all of us who were there, is that Jesus, we could tell it by the expression on his face. We could tell it by the look in his eyes. He looked at him, and he loved him. Everything that was coming after that came out of that look of love. That heart of love. And by the way, if you want to be a person that helps somebody else spiritually in their faith, and you want to be a person who loves enough to tell the most brutal and honest truth to somebody else about what you see about where they are, let me tell you something. You're not going to get very far unless people can look into your eyes and they can look into your face and they can see the look of love. You know it's true. It's got to be real, and people can tell. If you're coming at people, and you're just judgmental, and you're just talking down to them, and you're just angry, and you're just, you know, frowning, you know what I imagine? Now, there were times where Jesus got mad, and Jesus got angry. And, you know, I think there's, there's a legitimate time for that. Sometimes people push the point where Jesus expressed those emotions. But in this particular story, the way I envision it, I don't know I was there. I don't see Jesus even raising his voice. I also think that this conversation in total would have probably been longer than what's written here. Because that's what we get in the Bible. You know, the reason the Bible is so small is because we just, most of our stories, we're just getting summary accounts. Right? There's a lot more stuff that happens. But whatever the story, you know, the one thing that everybody knew who was sitting there that day and who was present is Jesus is saying this because he loved that man. He could have said so many other things, couldn't he? Were you not there when I preached the Sermon on the Mount? And do you not understand that I said, when, when the Old Testament said do not murder, it actually means a lot more than that, and that if you hate your brother in your heart, spiritually you're guilty of being a murderer? And do you not know that when you commit adultery, that's a sin, but do you also know that it's the heart of the matter, and when you're lusting after another woman, or lusting after another man, and you do that, it's just the same as you've committed adultery in your heart. Do you not understand anything? So I see Jesus, in all of his wisdom, saying to himself, I love this man so much that I want to help him, and I want him to see himself more clearly than he does. And so he says to him, one thing you lack. Now, the truth is, 
I'm quite sure there was more than one thing he lacked. Okay, I mean, that's, as, that's almost as bad as claiming that, oh, I'm good, I've done all this since I was all my life. Oh, well, but there's only one thing. One thing is keeping me from being righteous. No, no. I think Jesus, he didn't say it was the only thing. He says, I'm the, he just picked out one thing. He says, I want to illustrate to you where you are spiritually, and I want you to understand something, is you don't love me yet as much as I love you. And so he took something, and we know, if maybe some of you read the Bible, he says, you know, you can't love God and money. You've got to choose one or the other. You can't love God and sex. You've got to choose one or the other. And you can just fill in the blank, and you can add, you can't love God and alcohol and drugs at the same time. I understand there's struggles. We all deal with that. There's challenges. But here Jesus says, I, he just, I'm going to show him one thing. And so I think something I, you may understand inherently or intuitively already, but I want to just say it. This is never a universal command that God gave to Christians. In fact, he never, as far as we can tell in the Bible, he never asked anybody else to sell everything they have and give it to the poor. We understand that, right? He's helping the man in love to see where he is. And I believe, very likely, if the man had been willing to do it, Jesus would have said, no, that's okay. Don't, you don't need to do that. I just wanted to see... I just wanted you to see where your heart was. It's very similar, isn't it, to the story of Abraham and Isaac? And Jose preached on that recently, and God said, you know, I want you to kill your one and only son, the son you love. And God never intended for him to do that. But in that case, Abraham showed the willingness to trust God and that his love for God was greater than his own children. Can you believe that? Following Jesus means you give him all, you trust him with all, and you love him more than you love your husband, and more than you love your wife, and more than you love your children, and more than you love your money, and more than you love your sin, and more than you love that boat, and that car, and that house. And you can just fill in the blank. I don't believe that Jesus would have, but he wasn't willing. You know, the thing is, I love this about God. I love this about Jesus. He never asks us to do anything that he hasn't already done first. You see it, don't you? Jesus left the glories of heaven above to come here. And the Bible actually uses those words. He who was rich became poor for our sake. And I'll tell you what, Jesus had to give up to come to leave heaven and come as a lot more than the money that this uh, rich young man had, right? And again, the voice of Jesus is, resounds, do you want this relationship with me as much as I want it with you? I was willing to come. I was willing to die. Do you love me as much as I love you? 
That's what Jesus wants to know. That's the only thing that's going to get you to heaven. Because of the love of God and because of the grace of God, there's a way that we can be saved because Jesus came, died, buried, resurrected. You're never going to get there on your own goodness. And there's only one thing that you can do, and there's only one thing you must do. In faith, you must give your all to Jesus. You must love him the same way that he has loved you, with the same heart. You know it's true. I will do things for love that I will not do for anything else. Right? If you ever really loved anybody, you know what I'm talking about. There's so much to learn here, and we don't have time to go through all the lessons. But I will just say this, just to make sure you understand it. Because Jesus threw, threw out a bunch of commands about what he shouldn't be doing. Being a Christian is much more than not doing the things that you shouldn't be doing. Now, Jesus is saying this. Love me. Second greatest commandment is like it. Love people. You know what? If you just sit around avoiding doing the things that you're not supposed to do, you know what you are? You're a pathetic religious person who's going to be empty in your soul. You know when you really start living, you know when you really start understanding, you want to find richness in life, it's when you go out and you love God and you love people and you make a difference. And you share your faith and you give your money and you give your time and you give your energy and you're there for people when they need you. You're there for people when they don't even want you to be there. <laughs> Ever had that experience? Sometimes it happens. I really wish you weren't here right now, but I'm kind of glad you are. But maybe not. But it's about, what you, it's about how you live. People who love Jesus don't ask, what's the least I can do and make it to heaven? They say, what's the most I can do? They don't ask for the minimum daily requirement. They don't say, how much do I have to give? They say, how much can I give? I said it last week, and so in case you weren't here, Spanish-speaking ministry, I'll say it again. You are not a disciple of Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus, and you're not going to make it to heaven if you're not all in. Nobody's saying be perfect. We've tried and failed that many times. But you can love. You can be all in. Jesus wants to know, how much do you love me? The thing about Jesus is, you know, it's interesting, this was always, this was such a theme with him. And I, I want you to understand the context of sometimes in our church we've talked about discipleship, we've talked about total commitment, and we've talked about being sold out, and those are all good things, and they're real, but sometimes we miss the context of love. God's love for us and our love for God. It is not an unreasonable or extreme expectation. In fact, we already said at the beginning, no relationship works. Unless both people are committed to it. It doesn't really work 
It's going to be frustrating. It's going to be painful until both people are all in. It's the only way to please God. It's the only way to understand. Salvation, how much do you love me? You know, I'm actually glad that we're doing this lesson for the people that are new to the church. I'm also glad that we're doing this lesson for the people that have been here a long time. And that includes me. It includes many of you. Because we need to remind ourselves of what being a Christian is really all about. And what we were taught before we got baptized is still just as true today. Sometimes we're so, we take comfort in the fact that other people are impressed with us. And that, you know, people around us like us. And, you know, we maybe have some title or role in the church like this, this Jewish man did in his, his church. And the only question that matters really is, what does Jesus think? Why don't we stop trying to impress each other and start trying to impress Jesus? Right? In fact, we're not going to read the rest of the conversation, but you know what goes after his, you know, the disciples are just stunned by what happens, and they're going to like, well, who can be saved? Right? I mean, you can get that, right? But Jesus actually reassures them, and uh, we'll do part three next week. Ah, see? Stringing you along. Now, you're going to have to come to the outdoor service at Victory Park if you're going to hear part three. Because I want to talk about what Jesus says afterwards, and I want to talk about Jesus says, hey, you know, you may feel like you've given up a lot. You ain't given up jack. I mean, whatever you gave up, you're getting 100 times. You're getting 100 times, and that's just around numbers, right? So you don't need to go around feeling sorry for yourself. And that was the thing about Peter and the other guys. They were not perfect. I take great comfort in the life of Peter. But you know what? They did not waver in their commitment until the very end. You know, Jesus had to pull them back in after the, the whole death on the cross thing. But on this occasion, he didn't say, yeah, you guys are not going to make it to heaven either. No, he said, you know, he honored their faith. He honored their commitment. He honored what they had done. But Jesus says to you, and he, those of us who have been a Christian a long time or just a short time, in John 6, he said he preached a really hard sermon. People started leaving. He turned to his disciples and said, you want to go too? Jesus loves you, but he is not going to compromise because of what he expects from you. Great expectations. And at the end there, you know, when Peter and John, the other guys, you know, kind of went back to fishing and they wasn't sure they were going to make it. You remember what happened last chapter, John chapter 21, last gospel, last chapter? What did Jesus ask them? Do you love me? He asked Peter three times. That's the question we all need to be asked. That's the question Jesus is asking us today. I don't care how long you've been in the faith. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what, how impressed everybody else is with you. Your, your wife may love you, and your husband might love you, and your children might love you. And the church might think you're great. But only one question matters. What does Jesus think? And Jesus knows. I don't know. Frankly, I'm impressed with most of you. But what do I know? What difference does it make? You are not going to stand before me on the day of judgment. 
That's why I don't judge people. That's above my pay grade. I'm going to let Jesus do that. But I tell you what Jesus is going to do. I tell you what Jesus is going to do. He's going to, he's going to, you're going to be judged, not on your perfection, but he's going to say, did you love me? Do you love me? Did you love me as much as I loved you? Did you hold back? I guess that's enough for today. Let's pray. God, thanks for this example. Thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that Jesus loved us. Help us all to take that to heart, whatever that means, to uh, see ourselves more clearly. And uh, I just pray, I just want to say this. I hope that rich young man, even though he walked away at that moment, I hope he walked back, you know, later on. I hope we're going to see him in heaven. And thank you that all of us, even when we have walked away, we've always got a chance to come back. Thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great rest of the day.